We are in the final sermon of our sermon series, What If It's a Long Trip? And we end looking at a long trip in Scripture, literally a missionary journey that Paul and Timothy take upon a long and unexpected route. And today we find that journey uh, in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. They, Paul and Timothy, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to, to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When they had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira, a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe my very favorite letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote is the short one we know as Philippians, a letter to a church located in the city of Philippi. It's probably Paul's most heartfelt and joyful letter. It is obvious when you read it just how deep his, his love and his connection is with this particular congregation. Paul, he writes this letter from prison, and after a couple uh, opening uh, customary greeting, words of greeting, he writes this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Greek word there for partnership is koinonia. It's a word that on one hand refers to friendship, an abiding affinity for another, a care for another, joy in one's company. But it's, but it's more than, than just a friendship uh, uh, with, with folks whom you like to maybe go on vacation with or go out to dinner with. It, it refers to a friendship, on the other hand, that, that has a sense of shared responsibility. You know yourselves knit together in an endeavor of importance. You're moving the ball forward on something that matters. In Paul's case, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, advancing his hope and healing in the world, advancing God's love, advancing God's way. Philippians, when I think of you, I give thanks. I pray for you with joy because we share koinonia, kinship and purpose, friendship and a deep sense of calling. To whom would you write that kind of letter? Perhaps we have had that sense of deep friendship and shared responsibility in previous years or, or work or congregations, or perhaps we have it this very day in this very congregation. 
Maybe for some of us it would be such a gift to know a new season of koinonia or to know the gift for the very first time. I'm mindful how devastating this pandemic has been to many people's mental health. Depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, these are markedly up since March, and in part because of the intense isolation and lack of regular communal support that some have known. The gift of koinonia is, is deeply relevant good news for our times. And more, we might add, so how did Paul find this gift of, of koinonia with, with the Philippians? And we might add, how did he, a Jewish man from Tarsus, find the gift with, with Gentiles, a wholly other ethnic group located thousands of miles away on the continent of Europe? And this, too, I think, feels deeply relevant as we discern how it is the church in America, so often siloed by race and ethnicity, might discover koinonia with sisters and brothers in the church of Jesus Christ who may well be a thousand miles away or all of one mile away, but with whom we've never or rarely even crossed paths. How does God knit the gift of koinonia we so desperately need? And across the kind of lines we often think unimaginable or don't think of perhaps at all. We turn to Acts chapter 16 for clues, I think, for how the gift of koinonia came together for Paul and the people of Philippi. And then consider what it might mean for our koinonia. The story starts, you heard, with Paul not even thinking about Philippi or that that distant land. We have Paul and we have this younger man, Timothy, traveling together, trying to go west into Asia, what we know as Asia Minor today, uh, mostly comprised of Turkey. But for whatever reason, traveling west, heading west, as promising as that seemed to share the good news of Jesus there, we're told they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in that direction. So then they try to head north to Bithynia, but we read the Spirit of the Lord did not allow them. Forbidden that way, disallowed this way. And we wonder, what what does that look like? How do you know when the Holy Spirit has forbidden a direction? When Jesus has disallowed someone to go where they wanted, and it it seemed a very promising and, and good and right direction. September 2015, Michelle and I get a call. The adoption agency has someone for us. It's a girl, they say. She's, uh, she's due to be born in a week. Now, one, maybe both of the parents have done some drugs. Uh, the mother very much wants to place this baby for adoption. You need to know the father. The father has a criminal record, and even though it's unlikely any court in this land would grant him custody, he, he is going to, to try so you'll be fostering a girl in, in hopes of adopting, if, if that's going to be the best-case scenario. Um, but know that custody may be granted, and that may be the best-case scenario. Well, we've been in the adoption process some eight or nine months, wondering and waiting and praying, and I can still remember that call and this, this overwhelming sense of, yes, uh, the drugs, yes, uh, the custody situation, yes, the utter immediacy of becoming a parent, yes, yes. We'll do it. A baby girl. 
As word got out to our family, our friends, and folks in, in the church in Virginia where I was serving, so many excited friends are bringing over secondhand clothes. We're just starting to look into the whole baby gear thing, and three days later, we get a call that the whole thing has fallen through. The mother placing for adoption had been using two different adoption agencies to make sure the father had less of a chance to figure out where the mother was working and where the baby might be placed. Another couple had long been waiting to adopt this baby girl. We were just pawns to keep the father from figuring anything out. And it felt like a pile of bricks upon the heart. Is that what forbidden by the Holy Spirit can look like? When the door we ached to walk through, we planned to walk through, we anticipated to walk through, just closes. Our, the closed doors of the hand of God opening yet another door elsewhere. I am leery of anyone who interprets every opening and every closing as, well, God did it. At the same time, I'm leery of anyone who throws up their hands every single time and says, who knows if if it was God or or, or not. We are called, as Jamie mentioned in the children's sermon, really to, to grow in our ability to attend to the Spirit's leading through Scripture, through the counsel of one another, through the that prayerful sense the Spirit gives within. And one way or another, I know all of us have known what it is to have a direction we thought sensible, we thought right, we thought, in fact, quite good. Shut. And one of the questions this particular passage raises about such instances is this. Are some of these closed doors part of the long thread of the Holy Spirit knitting the surprising gift of koinonia? Remember, the Philippians are not at all on Paul's radar at this part of the story, and yet this is part of the Philippian story. Well, somehow, Paul and Timothy know God would not have them go west or north, so they end up, you heard, in Troas. And and Luke, the writer of Acts, says, during the night, Paul had a vision. Luke could have said, during his stay in Troas, Paul had a vision, but, but it's the nighttime that's underscored in our passage, as if to suggest that often it really is when we are completely in the dark about which way to go and what will come next. As if to suggest it really is when the angst and the protest and the grief and the anger and the uncertainty are at their most opaque. There in that valley, the voice of the good shepherd is heard. Darkness has a way of heightening our senses, does it not? It is in the dark of night that Paul notices the movement of the good shepherd drawing him toward the open door. The Spirit's movement, you heard, comes in the form of a vision. It's a vision of a man from this region called Macedonia, which is part of Europe so very far away. He's pleading, come over to Macedonia and help us. Immediately, Paul and Timothy went to Macedonia, convinced this vision of God was calling them to proclaim the good news of Jesus there. This moment reminds me of what the Presbyterian author Frederick Buechner famously said about calling. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness meets and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. 
Your deep gladness, the thing that brings you joy, the things for which you have the gifts of God, intersects with the place where the world most aches, hungers, needs. Over here, Paul, your deep joy in preaching Jesus and your gifts for sharing Jesus' love, they are needed not just in some general sense, they are needed here in the region of Macedonia. How often the long night that follows closed doors heightens our senses for the movement of the Spirit unto just such an intersection. I think it's not an accident that Luke then explains that Paul and Timothy set sail towards Macedonia. Yes, geographically, they need to cross the Aegean Sea, and also the sailboat was a significant symbol for the early church and what the life of faith looked like. They understood one of the ways that you were moving in the way of God's leading is that eventually things start to move along in ways deeper and more powerful than you could have ever made them move on your own. It's less row, row your boat, you you get out what you put in kind of thing, but the wind picks up the spirit which blows, and you think, this is not just me, this is not just us. There is a power, there is a movement, there is a wind at our back. Paul and Timothy, once forbidden here, disallowed here, in the dark here, now sailing. After things changed with that baby girl, we had another adoption possibility arise a couple months later, and and that also fell through. And so we sat down in January of 2016, ready to really start rowing. We were going to do every last thing people do, advise you to do when you're adopting. Letters to everybody you know, social media use constantly, posting blogs on adoption websites, anything to get your name out there and continually get your name out there in any circle of yours that people know you're adopting just in case something arises anywhere. And just as we're taking this particular weekend in late January to really put our oars down in the water, we get a phone call from California, which began a Skype meeting the next day with this young couple who were international students in Los Angeles, and and they were asking if we might come and, and, and be parents for their child to be born in a month. He was born a week later on February 3rd, and we know him as Leo. There are a number of other fascinating and fun details to this story, as I know some of you are aware. But looking back, one of the more fascinating features of this story was the fact that so much of what unfolded had a wind-at-our-back quality. And it really was the same for, for Logan's story, for some of you who are familiar with that. It was this mix of prayers from all over, their need, the circumstances coming together. Paul and Timothy set sail, and they arrive at the leading city of Macedonia region called Philippi. The Gentile people with whom Paul would share this remarkable kinship we read about in Philippians. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. When he arrives for the first time, we read in Acts that he and Timothy just remained in the city for some days. Nothing happens for a while in the space where eventually the riches of friendships shall emerge. Then, one Sabbath day, Paul and Timothy, they go down to the river where some women 
are praying, among them is this woman, Lydia, who deals in purple cloth with only the wealthiest could have afforded, and she uh, then is, is somewhat wealthy herself, has a whole household under her. It turns out the, the Lord has opened her heart to eagerly listen to Paul and Timothy, and therefore they're given a wide audience with all of her household. And, and you could say that though they are on land, really the sailing has not stopped. Eventually it comes to the point that Lydia and her whole household uh, are baptized as Paul and Timothy's gifts meet the ache and the need here. And, and, and this household, their ways are, and will are submerged and they, they rise to a following of Jesus. And what's the first thing Lydia does? She opens her house and says, come, Paul and Timothy, into my home. And, and we read that she prevails upon them to do just that and enjoy the gift of hospitality. And so you have this story that begins with closed doors to the west, forbidden to the north, darkness and Troas. But now in the very far west, among Gentiles of an entire different culture and a way of being, the doors are so wide open, they're, they're literally pulling Paul and Timothy in to come in, to speak, to stay, to offer their gifts. Talk about sailing. What if the church prayed towards that vision? And yet it's also important to notice that even as Paul is heading the entire time toward the gift of beautiful koinonia, unfolding someplace he could never have originally imagined. The whole time, the gift of koinonia is being knit together right in his midst. Another one of Paul's letters that opens with, with a sort of a unique exuberance and joy is 2 Timothy, a letter to his travel companion, Timothy. To Timothy, my true son in faith, it, it, it offers, I I thank God as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. Oh, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, the one with Paul when the Holy Spirit forbade their hopes for going this way. The one with Paul when Jesus blocked them from going this way. The one with Paul and Troas in the dark night. The one there with Paul when they arrived at Philippi and nothing happened at first. Jesus is always taking us somewhere, or as our passage points out, to someone's. And we are wise to discern amid closed doors and dark nights and windy movements and even unlikely strangers prevailing upon us if these are not the Holy Spirit knitting a new and unlikely and rich koinonia, drawing us unto life across all kinds of walls that might otherwise divide. And also let's never lose sight of who is on our left and our right journeying with us this very day. Because the truth is, First Presbyterian Church of Georgetown, we are all Timothys to one another. Those who've been members forever and, and, and their family goes back generations in this church, those who've joined this church during this pandemic and, and joined virtually, those who may not be members but have been with and in and part of First Pres for years or, or now a few months, we, we are all travel companions who share in the gift of koinonia. This is the gift of Jesus Christ who has called us friends. 
And, and so I want to end this sermon by sharing about something very practical and I think uh, very exciting that we're going to do this fall, that we might grow more deeply and fully into this koinonia that we have with one another. We continue to recognize it is difficult to gather safely in large group gatherings, especially indoors in this moment at least. But that does not preclude the possibilities for smaller group gatherings located outdoors in which we might grow in this gift. So, during the second week of September, September 13th, we're looking at launching Porch Pals. These are groups of six to ten people who will meet together for an hour, hour and 15 minutes each week for seven consecutive weeks for fellowship, reflection, and prayer. Why Porch? Well, the word porch underscores the fact that these groups will be meeting outside. And already, various members of the church have volunteered uh, their wide and open porch or, or some shady spot in the backyard as a good spot for a, a small group of six to ten to meet pals. Pals makes for memorable alliteration, but it also underscores the fact that Jesus has called us friends, both unto himself and with one another. And Pals reminds us that we are gathering to grow in the gift of koinonia, which God so often births the kind of sailing we could never have thought to ask for or imagine. See Paul and Timothy, Acts chapter 16. And the idea is that each week these porch pal gatherings come together, enjoy fellowship, and they're going to be given a couple questions to help them reflect on uh, the most recent Sunday scriptures and sermons and, and service of worship. Obviously, we'll have all of the various protocols in place that ODTAP, our task force, has to ensure safety as we seek to guard against the spread of COVID-19. All of these protocols plus details about these groups and, and ways to sign up for those of you who are interested and able all of that should be coming to your email boxes shortly. We're aiming actually for the end of this week. So, so be on the lookout for more details about Porch Pals. Because already these last six months have been filled with some of the strangest closed doors, some of the darkness nights, and, and truly one of the more circuitous routes we've ever known. But what if in and through all of it, the thread of the Holy Spirit is knitting a profoundly beautiful and new koinonia? with some people we, do not even, we did not even have on the radar, as well as with some who've been with us the whole time. And what if Porch Pals isn't the next space, at least for some of us, to lean into what the Spirit is up to and in bringing forth the good news of Jesus Christ? 